Profit Constructors presents Construction Junction, the junction between accounting and construction. Please welcome our host, Tanya Schulte. Welcome back to this edition of the Construction Junction podcast. I'm so excited to have Mark Williams joining us today. Um, Mark, kind of tell us about both Mark D. Williams Custom Homes and The Curious Builder and just give us a little bit of background about who you are. Well, thanks for having us on, Tanya. Well, us, I guess my multiple personalities will all show up in this uh, interview, so <laughs> us is probably the right one. Uh, so we're based in Minnesota, Minneapolis area. Uh, I've been building for about 19 years, and the name of that company is Mark D. Williams Custom Homes. We probably do four to five high-end homes a year, kind of in the maybe million and a half to five million range, and then we'll do probably four to seven remodels, kind of in the 200,000 to a million range for remodels. And then uh, we just recently started uh, our um, podcast, The Curious Builder. And so that's been uh, extremely enjoyable. That's been running for about, I think, 10, uh, 10th episode is actually today. So uh, we're doing bi-monthly, or sorry, bi-weekly, and uh, having a great time. That's really focused on Minnesota builders, architects, designers. It was important for that particular podcast to be really a high-end niche, and I wanted everything to be in person. So we're in studio recording now, even for the Zoom call. But uh, when I have people come into the studio, uh, I just like people. So for me, it was really enjoyable to, you know, just basically dive into people's stories and really tell their story, celebrate Minnesota craftsmanship. So that's what the podcast is kind of about. I love that. I, when you said I love people, I was thinking about when you and I met at the International Builders Show and. You were like being loud, walking through the show, talking to everybody that was standing around where we were. I love that. And I think that right off the bat, um, that was just an attractive quality about you. So I was excited. I was like, as soon as we started talking, I was like, I've got to get you on the podcast. We've got to, we've got to talk more. I need, sure to, know, I need a, to know more about Mark Williams. I'm sure there's a long list of people that uh, have been my friend and then choose not to be my friend because the energy is too much for them. So thank you for being uh, one of my new friends. Hopefully we can stay together. Uh, no, but it was funny because that was actually my first time at the Builder Show. And I was blown away at all the exhibits. Uh, and really, I went there for the networking. A lot, a big portion of it was the Curious Builder. But I have, we have, I think, eight or nine sponsors. And a number of my sponsors was there. So I just felt, A, I wanted to meet with them. And then this last year has been kind of an explosion of connections outside the state of Minnesota. I'm very well connected, obviously, in my regional area. But uh, last year, we went to this thing called the Contractor Coalition, hosted by Brad Lovett from AFT Construction, Nick Schiffer from NS Builders and the Modern Craftsman, and uh, Morgan Molitor from Construction to Style. And so after going to that in Nashville, almost a year ago now in May of 22, uh, just meeting people from all over the United States that are seeking to do similar things, uh, I'd really say my my network just exploded uh, after going to that. So if anyone's listening and you're aware of those people, which I'm sure you probably are, I would highly recommend a big plug for their contractor coalition. It's three days of just intense learning, financial data, marketing data, anything you could possibly know. And even if you didn't learn anything, just the networking, uh, picking people's brains with questions in between, a lot of it being the other builders, you make a lot of friendships. And even now there's about two or three guys that I call pretty regularly and they call me just with questions. So uh, I think I've never been a shy person, as you already said, I met you right away. But for some reason now I'm like, I can really let my extroversion shine now that I've got kind of a, an entire world to play in. I feel like your voice can be much broader uh, due to social media and due just to connecting with people uh, on a regular basis. Uh, it doesn't have to be inside your state anymore, at least for me. No, I think that's so true. I'm so glad that uh, you brought up the Contractors Coalition. 
you mentioned one of, because we're in Phoenix, I'm actually sitting uh, recording this today in Phoenix, and you mentioned one of our little local celebrities down here, Brad Lovett with a finer touch. Um, the lady who handles all of our social media marketing kind of um, does a lot of interacting back and forth with Brad on, on a lot of our social media. And one of the things that she said the other day about Brad is he is a sharer. He is not, um, he's not shy. <laughs> you nope, said about yourself. He's not shy. And he is not, he does not feel bad about sharing the information that he has. And, you know, the, the old adage sharing is caring. Like he truly is a caring person, right? Like he definitely cares about this industry. He cares about other people. He cares about helping other people along in their journeys. Like he's just a very genuine caring person. So yeah, super, super happy to promote his stuff anywhere and everywhere that we can. We love Brad down here. Yeah. And I'd expand on that a little bit. You're hundred percent right. A couple things came out and I think between the three of them, <clears throat> not that I have to give credit to one uh, person or another, because all three of them kind of celebrate this image or this, uh, this mantra, but one of them is collaboration over competition. That was something that was mentioned a lot and has really been a key driving factor. Uh, I'd say for the last year now for me, and it's this idea that I do think, you know, I'm younger, uh, compared to some and old compared to others, I guess I'm kind of middle-aged, I guess, 42. And, but I think sometimes my dad, for instance, and my uncles were builders and they're in their seventies now, you know, obviously we're at a stage where social media is such a prevalent point of contact, not only for your clients, but also for your peer network. And I feel like, you know, obviously we all know we can Google about whatever we want, but when it comes to business practices and I think it used to be the old guard, like you had a secret recipe, you know, I guess like cookies, like, hey, this is my secret grandma's recipes for cookies. It's the best. You want them? Come over to my house and I'll give them to you. But like, you didn't share that recipe. And I feel like even, I don't know if it's because of Google, because of the age of information sharing, I feel like my generation and for sure the generation, you know, that's younger than me, everything's on the table. Like, why would you hide it? And because you can really find any answer you want anywhere if you're willing to seek for it. And so I, I think Brad was really on the forefront of that, bringing it into building. And I'm sure he has inspiration from others as well. But I really like this idea. And I've I've often told my clients, uh, even for years now, well before I met, you know, that kind of that, I call them the Jedi Council, the three of them, because they're <laughs> they're pretty big hitters. But, you know, the idea is that the, the reason that you're choosing to build with me, if you're building a home with me, um, should not be based on price. And I say that because it really should be based on a relationship because I don't want my home build to be transactional. It's a relationship and it, it could take a couple of years. And if you're basing it just on price, you're sort of setting up that relationship to fail. And we could do a ton of analogies here, but we'll just stay on point. And which is rare for me, actually. And I usually love analogies. And so I, I I just feel that when you have a connection with somebody, that is worth a lot. And I don't know how, I don't think, it's hard to quantify what that value is, but I think it's really important. And then I do know that I think it was Nick Schiffer had said this in uh, one of his talks, and he talked about silos in like a farm field. And he said the information age of old before computers and before all the social networking was a bunch of silos. And you could have a silo full of corn right next to a silo full of corn, and they wouldn't know anything about the other person. But like take remove the walls, remove the fences, remove the obstructions, you know, make everything clear. And hey, the corn farmer is right next to another corn farmer. Guess what? You guys can talk about corn and, and figure out what it is. And I just feel like now if 
if you can really ask anybody any question, like if someone is sincere and asks me a straight question, I don't care what you ask me. You know, you want to know what I mark up for a GC percentage? Sure, I'll tell you. You want to know what I spend on my project management? Sure. But I'm also very curious by nature, hence the name of my podcast, The Curious Builder, because I'm going to ask you those same questions and not because I'm trying to get some sort of advantage or some sort of Machiavellian play here. It's I'm just curious, like, what can I gain that you have gleaned in your business that I can apply to mine? And I think I listen to a lot of other podcasts outside of building because there's just so much to learn and absorb. Uh, I'm kind of fascinated by retail. I don't understand it. And I don't really feel like I'm in the retail space. And, you know, we do quantity or quality over quantity. And so I'm sort of fascinated by like, you know, like boba tea. I was just in California and I was like, I sort of kind of want to start a boba tea company right now. Like literally I was Googling it on the way home on the airplane. Like what is my profit margins for boba tea? Turns out it's about 30%, which is like, great. That's way better than building. I should really just sell right? boba tea. So anyway, yeah. I've gone way off the question here. No, uh, I love we're it. now talking about boba tea franchises. So uh, <laughs> I actually looked into All it. Right. There's one in LA called, uh, shout out to uh, the boba, boba guys but they don't franchise. They're so successful that they're like, we don't franchise, you know, they're really good, but we'll help you along in your journey. I'm like, man, their recipe is awesome. I would want to franchise that. That's yeah. awesome. I'm so I'm not a boba tea fan, just full transparency and all open honesty here killed, on the podcast. You just killed the dream. Yeah, sorry, I'm not a boba fan, but I will tell you both of my daughters, anytime we drive past a boba place, they're like, can we, boba, mom, boba, you're passing the boba place. What are we doing yet? Yeah, so yeah, I do have some boba fans in, in my household, so. Yeah, I love that. No, everything that you're saying is 100% resonating with my soul, right? Because I, about seven years ago, when I started our business, The Profit Constructors, and I really had been working in corporate construction accounting, and I wanted to help some of the smaller guys. So our tagline is, we help you run with the big dogs. And the idea was like, let me help these smaller guys that are just getting started and they don't know anything about running a business. They don't know anything about accounting. They don't understand profit margin. They don't, they just know how to swing a hammer or they know how to, uh, they can even maybe project manage really well, right? But they don't understand the business side. And so I wanted to help them learn how to do that. And the fascinating part about that was that I in instantly began to realize I didn't know a lot about running a business either. I knew how to do accounting really well. <laughs> and I knew all about how to help small business owners do that piece really well, but I found all kinds of obstacles around running my own business. And so I was extremely blessed to have run into a software that, that we like to use a lot, which is called Noify. And Noify asked me if I would come along with them to an accounting conference and tell other people, because I was like really falling in love with their software and, and singing its praises everywhere that I could. And so they said, hey, will you come to this large accounting conference? We'll pay your way. And I'm telling you that particular conference changed my life. And it was because of exactly what you're talking about. And it's a, a phrase that's passed around there all the time as well, which is collaboration, not competition. And so there were this whole group of other accounting mentors and, and just people who'd been in the business a long time or people who were just getting started, but everybody was willing to sort of share um, and tell me about pitfalls that they'd been through and how to avoid this and how not to do that. One of the very first things I just assumed that if you were in accounting, you were charging by the hour, you had the billable hour and that's how things worked. And at that very first conference, everyone was like, no, 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 we're not doing that anymore. Nobody's billing by the hour. Like this is fixed fee pricing. And, you know, and so all these things I just was able to learn and absorb at that first conference and then start building into that network of sharing people who really just were willing to, like you said, share what they knew, um, ask questions of me, and we can all just trade and, and make each other better because of the knowledge that each of us has and the different levels of expertise and knowledge that we have. I love that. Okay. I want to ask you. Mark, um, how, how long has Mark D. Williams been around? 
Uh, we're on year 19 That's here nice. in May. Okay. What uh, were some of the challenges that you had kind of in getting Mark D. Williams up off the ground? You mentioned earlier, and I didn't know this, that you come from a long line of builders. So was that kind of handed to you or did you yeah. have to start no, this from scratch? That's funny. I think, um, so my parents both built, so my dad was a builder and my mom was an interior designer and they, for about 30 years, built about 40 homes a year. And I remember as a teenager, uh, like waking up at like two or three o'clock in the morning and hearing the phone ring because a roof was leaking. And I remember thinking that like, why would anyone want to be a builder? Why would you want to get woken up in the middle of the night because your roof is leaking? First of all, you can't do anything about it. You got to call the roofer. And, you know, so anyway, this idea, so early, early on, I was like, I will not, why would I ever want to be a builder? So I think a lot of people when they grow up, at least I was, you know, you don't want to do what your parents do. You kind of want to do your own thing. You want to make your own waves, all kind of like that. So I really had no plans on becoming a builder. So I actually had a lawn mowing business in high school and I sold it, uh, out of college. I had one year, I went to school for business and for communication. And I, uh, one year in sales, wearing a suit and tie and all that I actually was selling copiers, which was great. I actually loved the competition. I was making like a hundred phone calls a day. And that side of it was super enjoyable. And I, I, but I realized like, why am I working for somebody else? And so at this point, my dad and mom and dad had retired for I think three or four years, <clears throat> excuse me. And they had been retired for about three, four years. And so I just, you know, as I'm asking around, like, what, what should I do? And some, I think it was an uncle who was a chiropractor. It's like, why don't you try building a house? And it was like, you know, it's like, duh. And I was like, oh yeah, maybe I'll try that. So I, I didn't have my license. Uh, you don't need a license to build a house for yourself. So I remember borrowing uh, money from my dad, you know, designing my own house, getting some input from my mom. I think at this time I'm 22 years old, something like that. So I'm pretty young. And um, just kind of just building a spec house, you know, everything was like 550 or 600,000, which in retrospect is crazy. It's so nice. Not now, like having a family with three kids, like the idea of taking, I, I give a huge amount of credit to people that launch a business as and when they're uh, have a family already. Cause that takes way more guts. Like I had no idea what I was doing other than I think I probably, maybe I had more energy or more, maybe I knew more than I thought I knew. Cause I didn't think I knew anything, but anyway, half, I was all on enthusiasm and drive and halfway through, I was like, this is amazing. <clears throat> so I quit my job, got my building license, sold my Jetta, bought a Chevy Silverado. Cause that's what you do. You got to drive a truck. If you're, you know, I wasn't the handiest guy. I was more on the design side. I favored more my mom's side, uh, in terms of design and architecture. And, uh, but you have to have the truck. <laughs> you have to. You've got to have the truck. So you got to have the truck. So I uh, sold that house. Oddly enough, I sold that first house to the realtor who was listing it, which I still to this day joke with him that I must have had more buyers, but he scared them all away. And then he could buy it at a lower rate. So I never actually knew the answer to that story. But anyway, he, my realtor bought my own house. So that, I don't know what that says. So I'll leave it to someone else to comment on that. And then, um, so then I built a second spec home and halfway through, uh, a lady came in and said, um, I need, I love your home and uh, I want to, I want to finish it with you. And then really from that point on, I started doing, you know, a, a couple more homes a year and a couple more spec homes started getting some traction. I was always like in the parade of homes. The Minnesota actually has the oldest parade organization in the country. This year is their 75th anniversary. And I was talking to Brad, actually, you guys don't even have a parade of homes down in Arizona, which is crazy to me. Cause like, I mean, it's been around since the fifties. And so that's, it's just part of building. I thought every state had that. So that was a, we really celebrate the builders, the craftsmanship. And so anyway, that was kind of the origin, I guess, is, is starting the business uh, early on, as far as challenges go, man, lots of challenges, I guess, like anybody, I mean, hard to remember them all. There's so many, but I think the ones that stand out is early on, I had Mark D. Williams Custom Homes. And for a short time, I actually had a small, uh, another company called Luderman Williams, 
which was actually my dad's foreman for about four or five years. He and I had a joint company while I still had Mark Williams. I'd, Mark Williams would build maybe one or two homes a year, but then I did most of my homes with uh, Luterman Williams, with Dean was his name. And so we he was a great mentor. I mean, he knew everything about, I was better probably at business than he was, uh, but he was really factual. So I learned a lot about how to build a home. Basically that was my essentially schooling on how to, and, but I was, my, my skill set was always relationship based. So it's, you know, the trade partners, I mean, some of them that work with me now work for my dad, my grandpa built a few homes. So I have one, I have two subcontractor groups that have been with our, the Williams family for almost 40 years. So that actually is pretty cool. I mean, some of them knew me before I was born and my wow. name is Mark, but you always know the ones that knew me from before because they'll call me Marky because they remember when I was a little five-year-old kid running around the job site, stealing people's hammers. I guess I was a notorious hammer thief. I used to grab them and go run up into the trusses and try to evade the framers. So um, yeah, I have no idea where that fits into the story, but uh, I'm thinking- I yeah. I love that. No, I, I, I love that too. I, I was just, I was laughing too. Cause um, same thing, anybody that knew my husband from years back before we were married and, and knew his family, they all call him, his name is Joseph. And most of our friends and myself call him Joe, but a lot of his family and friends from younger days call him Joey. So yep. love it. Gotta add yeah. the Y. Gotta add the so, Y. So that was the well, history. Then, then I think the other challenging thing was obviously 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, you know, that was a rough five years. In some ways, looking back, I think I was fortunate that I was too small to have too much. So when I say that is like, I didn't have land positions. I didn't have a model home. I'm more on that in a second. And so a lot of the other midsize uh, builders did not, um, you know, they lost a lot because they had a lot. I didn't have anything to lose. So I didn't, I, what was there to lose? I remember uh, we had one home or we, meaning I had a home that in 2008, I had bought my first big home to renovate. And it was really before um, buying homes um, that were short sale was kind of in vogue. And so I bought this home that was under, and I frankly did too nice of a remodel on it, but I finished it one month before the stock market crash in the fall of 2008. So then I was stuck with this home, like a lot of builders trying to figure out what to do to this date. I think it's still the only home I've ever lost money on. And, but it was at a time where I didn't have any money. So it was especially painful. And I ended up renting the house to a guy in a two-year upfront lease, which was, I don't know how in hindsight I was able to manage that. So I think I got one year at a time. So I got, I remember $54,000 upfront for the whole year. And that really allowed me to, to ride out um, that time frame. But, you know, I'm single, not married, not a kid, you know, was, you know, sharing a house, I was sleeping on a couch, like whatever I could do to cut costs. Um, I did anything it took. And, um, yeah. So anyway, uh, as it turned out, I actually had to evict that individual uh, because he went re-up for year two. He wanted to renegotiate his terms. And I said, no. So I had to evict him. He was an extremely high net person. But of course, I didn't know anything what a high net person was when I was, you know, at this point, 25, 26 years old. You just like, hey, he's not paying me. I got to get rid of him. So he left. And then I was able to sell the house and kind of move on from that. But it taught me a lot. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, someone once said that I've got my MBA degree in business and half the time and five times the cost, <laughs> because, yeah. you know, you, you learn it pretty quick on the job. I love that too, what you're saying. And I think it's so important for business owners to understand too. It's like failure is a classroom, right? Like any time that something is, whether it's your own failure or something's happening, like the economy, like any time where you're put under stress, I think that's the time that we often learn the most. Like we start to get really creative. 
and handling things like you're talking about. Um, I come from a long line of entrepreneurs as well. And my mom has told the story for years about how um, she just decided one day that she wanted to open up like a gift wrapping kiosk in the middle of a mall. This is back in the 80s when malls were still a thing and you could still like walk through a mall. And at Christmas time, they were, the, she really made really good money. She made all the money that she would ever make for a whole year between like November and December, or really like the two months where she made the, the most money. Well, at the time in that particular mall, every single vendor had to pay a set rate back to the mall for their space. And for whatever reason, she just walked in and said to them, listen, you can, you and I both know that the business I want to start is seasonal and I don't want to pay that rate the rest of the year. I'll pay you everything in those two months of the year. Is that going to work for you guys? And they went, okay, sure. They'd never done it before. They never did it after, That's but cool. she just promoted it and walked in and said what she wanted to do and they agreed to it. So sometimes it's, you know, sometimes either you're just foolish enough to not know that it can't be done that way. So you ask for it, right? <laughs> Or sometimes you get creative and you ask for these things and sometimes things work out. And then other times, you know, things don't work out. And then you have to learn from that too and, and walk away knowing more than you did before. I think the the creativity side of that is spot on. I do remember uh, before I rented that house to that individual, I think my burden rate was like 5,000 a month on my loan with the bank. And I remember asking, you know, no, if you, if you, if you have family in the business, the last thing you want, you would rather go to a bank, you'd rather go to anybody, but you don't want to go to your dad and ask for money. Cause you, as, as you perceive it, or as I perceive it, that was failure. And, but anyway, I finally was able to kind of swallow my pride and be like, I have nowhere else to go. And so I went to my dad and I said, um, I said, dad, can I borrow $30,000 thinking that, Hey, it's going to give me four or five months of leeway. And um, we'll see what happens there. And to this day, I've repeated this story now a number of times because I respect him a lot for his answer. He said no. And now having kids, I did not understand the gravity of what I was asking when I was a single kid. Now being a parent, you know, thinking of saying no to, let's say, my daughter, May. Uh, I don't know if I could do it, but now having this example, I'm pretty sure I'll be able to tell her no. But anyway, the point is uh, she can blame her grandpa. But I, th I think what he said was, um, if you can't solve this problem on your own, $30,000 is not going to solve it. Um, and it's basically, you know, throwing good money after bad as that old adage goes. And I remember being extremely relieved when he told me that there must have been a part of my subconscious that knew that I, um, he like gave me permission to fail. And I think that was super crucial for my development as a business owner and just as a person. And I, and uh, it was really from that point on, you know, I rented to this individual, as I already mentioned, or I rented out parts of my house that most people should not be allowed to rent, you know, and it was anything to survive. And it learned a ton, you know, about the hustle and about the creativity in getting through it. And sometimes now, even now, when you, I mean, it's been, you know, quite a number of years since then. And it's just like, man, I can hardly remember some of the things that you did or didn't do. And people ask you like, how'd you get through? And sometimes you almost forget. You're like, I don't really remember. I just remember, you know, hustling a lot and, and yeah. uh, doing whatever it took. So, and figuring out what you had to do to get to the next level of growth. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Let me ask you about that too. Cause uh, one of the things that we're really big on around here at the construction junction podcast is growth and like helping our listeners understand, like, every business goes through various stages, you know, like you'll have a startup stage and then you, you reach a sort of level. And I think at everyone in my experience, working in my own business and with all these business owners down through the years, you always hit that ceiling that you can't bump through for a little while. Right. And at every one of those, you have to learn something new to kind of blast through and go to the next level of growth. Um, what were some of those uh, areas for you where you were like, hitting up against something and you had to say, I have got to learn to do something different 
what got me here is not going to get me there. That's a great question. Uh, I definitely know I've hit the wall a few times. I've got a bloody nose for sure. <laughs> I can't always tell you what it was that um, made us go past it. Um, in fact, thinking back now to 2009, 10, 11, I remember actually now I actually went to project management. I still had my, my Mark D. Williams custom homes at this point. At this point, I had shut down Luderman Williams for my involvement with it. And uh, so I was building maybe one home a year. To, and it was kind of like at that time, I didn't need a lot. You know, one home. I didn't have a project manager. I only had a uh, office manager that helped with bookkeeping. So my overhead was very low. And I, I was able to essentially one or two homes was all I really needed. But I think at that point, I also got into remodeling more. So kind of expanding what we could do in realizing that, A, remodeling is more profitable, at least for us. Um, someone recently came on and said that they thought across the country that remodeling in new homes was not that much different from a margin standpoint. And for me, it's very different. So either someone else is doing something wrong or I am. But uh, anyway, that's my, my, my point. So I like the diversification. Plus remodeling is really interesting. I'm someone that I don't think I have full-blown ADHD, but I definitely, I think one of the things that attracts me to building is the variety of people, the variety of architecture, no project is the same. Like, I don't think I could ever be, and I have a lot of respect for them. So it's not that I don't respect their business model, but like, for instance, like a regional builder that's building 50, 100, 200 homes a year. Like, I don't know how to do what they do. Like they do an amazing job, but I mean, they must know their numbers inside and out where I tend to, yeah. you know, I'm making, you know, it's, it, there's a worker or two and they can have beautiful homes. I'm not saying anything about that, but like the homes that we do, it's like a one of a kind home. And there's so much attention to detail, so much, everything is a one-off. So it's, it gets a lot messier. I mean, frankly, their model is probably better because it's a lot, it's a lot more straightforward, a lot simpler. It's like an a la carte menu. You go to a restaurant, you'd be like going to a restaurant and be like, what are you hungry for? I don't know. I think I'm hungry for some elk today. Well, we don't have any elk. Well, I want elk. Okay. We'll make you elk. I mean, I guess the point of it is, is like with a custom home, you know, anything that they dream or want, or we serve to them is being created where I think in the kind of that mid tier, you know, you have your, every, Hey, these are our five plans. This is what we do. And so it's a different business model, but I have a lot of respect for it. It's just not what I do or what my skill set is set for. I think you're bringing up something, or sorry to call you Brad. You're bringing up something, Mark, that <laughs> I, sorry, no, no offense to you, Mark. We do love Brad around here. Uh, no, but I, you're bringing up something, Mark, that I think is so important. And one of the things that we coach our new newer builders on our newer owners on is this whole idea of business model. I think that actually that's something that a lot of small business owners do not wrap their heads around before they go into business. That's only something that you learn after time. Right. Um, and we had a larger commercial general contractor client, um, who was building up in Montana and he came to me and said, I just, you know, I'm on this hamster wheel. I don't understand why we can't kind of get past this. And as we talked, what was really brought up is that he was trying to merge two very different business models that would not be merged. He was trying to advertise that they were really quick and really cheap. And then when things were breaking in uh, the things that they had built afterwards, he would go right back in and replace them very quickly and do, and do warranty work. And I was like, listen, you can be Walmart. They make really good money and their model is, it makes sense. Or you can be Neiman, Neiman Marcus and they make really good sense from their business model standpoint, but you can't be both. So let's pick a lane and let's pick a model. And what do you want to do, right? Like, do you want to be that cheap, quick builder? You get in, you get out and you move on to the next thing. Or do you want to really be that higher end? And again, I don't think there's anything wrong with either business model. I think Walmart is really smart. And I think Neiman Marcus is really smart, but you have to decide. And I think that's a concept that not a lot of 
newer business owners wrap their minds around right when they're, when they get started. I would almost argue that, I mean, any business owner uh, needs to reevaluate their business plan. And I could speak for myself. Like, you know, I would think after 19 years of building, I would have a very thought out business plan. I don't. Um, and I think I bet I, I would suspect that I'm not the only one. And while we would love to say that building is probably full of archaic dinosaurs, I have a feeling that a lot of business owners don't do some of the, the status quo, if you will. I mean, like what a corporation would be held to while we certainly make fun of corporations and all their rules and regulations and their, their lack of mobility, uh, could easily be said that, you know, we're too loosey goosey. And uh, I think every pro can have a con, you know, I can speak for myself, like I love marketing and it's something I easily gravitate towards. And so it's easy for me to do That being said, it's like, if I see a good idea, I'm like, yes, let's do it. And I think you can gain, you can do a lot of good really quickly that way. You can also, you know, get over your skis. And I know for sure that I've spent more money on marketing that maybe the ROI is telling me that you're not getting it back. And, but I'm so in love with an idea that I'm able to, you know, kind of go past it. And so I don't know. I, I still think it's probably really valuable to kind of circle the wagons, have some urine planning. And I think as I've gotten older, um, I certainly recognize the value of that. I'm a big fan of just continual education, whether it's books, podcasts. Uh, podcasts are actually relatively new. We can talk about that later because up until six months ago, I never even listened to a single podcast. And so it's hilarious to me that I have started a podcast. Uh, but I was a huge book tape. Uh, I mean, even at, man, going back to when I had my lawn mowing business, I mean, that's all I had, Louis the more book tapes. And I could probably recite every single Louis more book tape ever read that me and like, you know, the truckers going across the, the Sun Belt uh, probably know all the Louis more books. But anyway, um, you know, now it's all educational books and you know, books that, you know, what can I take and apply to my business? I'm just fascinated by, you know, uh, I try to rotate between a, you know, a, a business book, maybe a um, a book just to stimulate your mind. And then, you know, I, I love hearing biographies, hearing about people, just especially, you know, you know, probably well-known people, obviously, or just business owners. But um, I digressed a little bit there on the question. Uh, no, it's fine. I, what, I was just really just going to ask you, what what are some books that you recommend for, especially for folks in this industry? Oh, boy. Um, well, um, I can just recite some of the ones I've just read. I actually just started Traction, which is, I guess, a very well-known book. But uh, I listened to like one hour of it. And I'm like, I can't listen to it. There's too much information here. So I bought the book. Yeah. Uh, for me personally, I exercise a lot. And I'm running a lot and I'm in the car. So audiobooks is really my preferred method of digestion. Um, but that one, that particular book has so much in it. I felt like I had to buy it and I'll have to get into that. But I just assigned. Yeah, you kind of have to see the graphs and understand yeah, the charts. So I know it's really good. Yeah. So I've just started that one. I just know everyone that I say traction to is like, oh yeah, it's an amazing book. Yeah. So I know that one's probably safe. Uh, I just finished um, Atomic Habits for the second time. I had our team read that. And I think the two real golden nuggets I got out of that, I read it maybe five, six years ago was habit stacking. So all of us have a different habits. And so let's just say, um, you know, drinking coffee. Um, I'll just tell you my habit. So, you know, I drink coffee in the morning and I read my Bible. And so it's like, okay, so if you, let's say you didn't read your Bible and you said, Hey, I want to read, it could be anything, your Bible, the paper, whatever you want, or, yeah. you know, stack it with something you already do. So if you drink coffee every single morning, stack something else that's real cl uh, closely associated with that. And you're more likely to do it. Same deal with like, uh, if people have a trouble getting to the gym. Uh, so every morning you get up, you get out of bed. Uh, some people literally will put their running shoes at the foot of their bed with their workout clothes. So the moment their feet hit the floor, they hit their shoes. You put on your workout stuff, you put on your shoes and you walk out the door. And so you're, again, you're creating these habit stacking. And so I found that valuable in business. And I do a lot of, uh, because of that, I also tend to do a lot of time blocking in my schedule. So I will, uh, whether it's ops for our team, 
but I've even started to schedule stuff like because the podcast now is a new business. I feel like if I, we all know that none of us have enough time. So how do I, how do you create that time? So for me personally, I have like one o'clock to four o'clock on Thursday afternoons. Uh, every Thursday is, you know, the curious builder uh, time. So that's when I'm reaching out to sponsors. I'm thinking about additional content, things like that. That's not including recording. That's just sort of thinking about the business. And so I, one of the things I took away from the contractor coalition was, um, I need to spend much more time working on the business instead of working in the business. And I know this is a classic thing that everyone talks about. And I think I'm actually a really bad poster child for this because I think I worked way too much in the business, but I'm working on it. I'm trying. Yeah. So habit, Atomic Habits was, uh, Atomic Habits was really good. Another book that I think was uh, um, just interesting, actually, is called Fair Play. Um, and that's actually about uh, husbands and wives. Uh, it's actually not related to business at all. But because we are in such a emotional business and because you have to have the ability to relate to both the Mr. and the Mrs. in the relationship if you're building for a couple, plus I just found the book helpful for marriage, but it really identifies the things that your partner does for you that you might not be aware of. So to me, because, you know, as far as like a disc assessment, I'm very red yellow if people out there know what that means. And so I'm not very, I'm not a great listener. Uh, in fact, I joked about before we recorded this podcast, when I started the podcast, my wife, who I'm a red yellow, she's definitely a green blue of some combo. Yeah, she said, you know, you have to listen to people, right? And everyone laughs. And and I was like, the podcast has actually taught me how when I'm a host, uh, it has taught me to listen better. Um, and so that's been so that book was very interesting from that point of view. Uh, there's a number of other books. So right now I'm listen, I'm rereading for probably the 10th time. It's probably the book I listen to the most. Um, it's it's uh, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Yeah. What I get out of that book, because a lot of people have very I found that people have very strong opinions about that book, which is actually really funny to me, because what I get out of it is nothing necessarily political, because obviously it has to do with communist Russia and a bunch of other things that are beyond my understanding. But what I get out of it is be the best that you can be. And Fountainhead, her other book about architecture and building is a little bit like that for me as well. So every time I read those books, I get super inspired to be the best version of Mark D. Williams Custom Homes as I can, or be the best version of The Curious Builder. And it's and it's it's really looking at my peers, like a Brad, like a Nick, like a Morgan, you know, uh, like your podcast, like really, you know, going to the International Builder Show is getting all those things as inputs and then being like, okay, how can I add that to my business? And so it's like this thing of ever... I guess going back to your earlier question, how do you, when you hit these ceilings, how do you get through them? I think it's continuing to innovate, continuing to change. And I'm not even remotely the same company that I was even six, seven years ago. I mean, we kind of made, I'd say every five, five years, we've made kind of a quantum leap. But I would say even this, I think our last quantum leap was probably a year ago. I think we're going to see some huge changes from our company over the next four or five years because of what's happened over the last year for me personally, but also because of kind of the people that I'm connected with and networking with. Yeah, <clears throat> that's great. I'm going to mention too, uh, I because it resonated when you were talking about it. I'm reading a book right now called Buy Back Your Time by Dan Martell, and it's very similar, right? So I also do calendar blocking. I'm also trying to be completely innovative, but just every time that I think, okay, this is good. I'm getting pretty good at delegating. I'm getting pretty, I'll read something else and be like, oh, no, I really, I could be even better, right? So like you're saying, like, I, I love Atlas Shrugged as well. There's all, I could get into myriad reasons why I love it, but I think that's exactly right. Like, I think it is inspiring to think about, anything that are your God-given skills and talents and things that you can do really well, like we should all be just leaning into that and continuing to learn how to do those things better. And 
um, back to our whole thing about collaboration, not competition, like that's where like, um, you know, we all help each other get better at that. Right. So like if, if I'm going and, and learning from my other accounting peers, or if I'm learning from other folks in the, in the building industry, like whatever there is that can make the profit constructors better and that I can take them back and help make all of our construction clients that we're working with, I can help make their businesses better. I want that from any source that I can possibly get it. I, I agree with you. I, I think something that was also brought up uh, at the contractor coalition was, you know, why is it at least in Minnesota, but I suspect that the construction as a general rule has this. So like, why is there a race to the bottom? Why is it always like, why can I, how can I build this unit the cheapest? Mm-hmm. I mean, what about the most valuable? Because I think value and cost are two totally different things. I mean, they're obviously associated, yes. but they're different. And I think there's a lot, uh, if people just focus on the cost of something. But I mean, when you go, I think the car is probably one of the, it's probably the analogy I use the most. Not that I know that much about cars. I should probably go practice my analogies and test drive some more cars. But, you know, when you go and you, uh, you, you t- you're going to buy a new truck or a car or whatever, and you test drive a few. And let's say you're going to spend 45, 50,000 or whatever, you know, you're going to test drive three, four different cars. But like, there's usually one that's like a clear favorite. You're like, I just like the way this one handles better. Or I like, these features better. And so, you know, you weren't actually basing it on price. You're basing on something else, like it's drivability. <laughs> the last couple of years, it's availability. <laughs> so are there know, chips available that can go in its computer? Yeah. Right. And so I've often said this before on, on our podcast as well, that, you know, building is really messy. You know, Brad calls it open heart surgery. I call it, you know, production, uh, you know, from a standpoint that you are, you know, Ford F-150, makes a hundred, I don't know how many, 150,000 trucks a year or something like that, 100,000, I don't know. And, but they have callback, they're on assembly line uh, and they know exactly, they're engineered, they're using the same parts. I mean, and there's still callbacks. You can't, there's no such thing as perfection. And so why is it that homeowners think that we're building a custom home outside in the elements, it's cold, it's raining, it's hailing. In Minnesota, it can be negative 20, negative 30. In the wintertime, in the summertime, you know, 95 degrees and 95% humidity, I mean, it's miserable. And so during all of that, you're watching it all be built on top of it. And so I just had a client call today that she was, you know, upset about an allowance over her gutters. And it was like, well, you know, you forgot that a year ago, you know, we actually were asked to reduce that. And so, but you know, you're, you're, you're actually, you know, you're part of this build that you were creating art. And I feel like a big part of my job as the conductor of the orchestra, as I often use as an analogy is to make sure that the band is playing on rhythm. And so I get more upset. Like if our team is not responding in time, less concerned about the actual issue than how we're handling it. And so, you know, still trying to work through, you'd like both to be perfect, of course, but at the end of the day, you're building a beautiful home. The client appreciates it a lot, you know, and ultimately they, you know, on top of it, when they go to sell their home, they make money. So I feel like you get these rose colored glasses after the move in, after they're done, you know, when you're in the middle of it, it's just, you know, you're in the middle of your climb up Mount Everest and it's not, there's parts of it that are just not as enjoyable, but the view is great. Yeah. Uh, So, so many ways that my brain is going in different directions. One is that the the exact same thing happens for us when we come in to any client, we're going to do a bunch of catch up and clean up what we call uh, work. Um, you know, maybe they haven't had a good accountant in there. Maybe somebody has been in their books and doesn't really know what they're doing. And we're doing a lot of cleanup and that exact same process happens. And it's the same thing that you're saying, like 
sometimes they're like, why isn't this already done? You know, like, well, you told us you thought it would take about three months and now we're like five months in and there's still parts and pieces that aren't done. And it's like, well, because this is a remodel, like we tore down the drywall and we found rotten studs. And so we're right. having to shore everything up, then do the work. And so, so we have all those conversations and we use all those analogies because our clients understand them, but that's the same thing. Like they will want to know why is this not done? And, and, but I'm going to tell on myself just a little bit here, because I think it's a little bit more so that, that your home is so emotional, right? So I feel like you, Mark, and folks in the home building space have picked this really difficult uh, place to be because even, and I was like, I'm going to tell myself and our, one of our clients who actually did remodel work on our house, if he's listening to this, I love you, Jeff, um, <laughs> but we were in the middle of a remodel on the house that we live in now about three years ago. So it was right in the heart of COVID, right? When everybody decided they were going to go ahead and renovate, right? And we were in the middle of a remodel that our general contractor was doing like out of the kindness of his heart. Um, he was helping to do a lot of it at cost. He was helping and in, in coming in and kind of giving us ideas. He was kind of directing the show. We were doing some of it. He was doing some of it. And he was really helping us a lot. And then something came up in the middle of it. And I got so emotional and so upset about it. On a Saturday morning, I was saying to my husband, I'm going to call him right now. And he's going to come right down here. And he's going to see what's going on. And I had my phone in my hand. And my husband, wonderful, gracious, caring man that he is, said, set your phone down, please. <laughs> and made me set my phone down. So I did not pick up the phone and ruin that relationship with a friend, client, mentor. You know, I love, I, and again, I love you, Jeff, you know, I love you. Um, and so that's the whole thing, right? Like there's so much emotion around the place that we live that I think it's hard for your homeowners to separate the emotion from the thing. And like you said earlier, you still want everything that's going on in the build of that home. You want that to be relational. And so we all know relationships are messy and that's just going to enter into the picture no matter what. I think, I mean, you're hundred percent right. I've said this more and more recently, just that a home build is a, I mean, obviously a marriage, I think other than a home, the only thing I can think of that has this much emotion tied to it would be like the day of your wedding and like the wedding planner. So actually what I really want to do, and I'm, I'm going to do this in some format, I want to have a wedding planner on the podcast along with a project manager. And then I want to ask a line of questioning where like they'd have like a little paddle that they raise up that says like, like, yes, or like, you know, something along those lines. And like, basically I'll answer, ask questions where everyone would think it'd be the wedding planner, but it'd be the project manager of the, or they might be the same. Yeah. And so, cause it's super emotional. And there's a lot of, I think too, with a home, I mean, the United States is very interestingly set up this way. Someone brought, I think was on a podcast recently just talking about how our tax codes are greatly favor those that have home ownership. And so I know in our local market, there's a company or there's a, our, one of our foundations we work with is called Minnesota Housing First. And uh, one of their big objectives from a legislative standpoint is to try to make homes more affordable. And I certainly support that, even though I can't build a home at that price point, you know, it's a healthy ecosystem like the, the ocean, you need, you know, we need all we need all the biodiversity that ocean can offer to have a healthy ocean. The same is true in a housing market, you need top to bottom, you need everything to be in a healthy set because it, it benefits everybody. And um, I, anyway, I'm, I'm always really uh, grateful when uh, people bring this uh, point, point up so that people are aware that the United States is very greatly skewed. I don't say you could say pro or, or negative. It's just that's the reality of it because we want home ownership. That being said, if you're not part of that, if you're not buying in, if you're not, if you don't have a home, you are missing out on a lot of how the tax code is set up. And I'm guessing I'm speaking to the query here. You know more, way more about this topic than I probably do, or for sure you do. 
And so how can we help people harness, whether it's rentals or owning property or taking part of these advantages that favor home ownership? Because I feel like um, it, it's just so it's your net worth. I mean, a lot, just so much of your life is tied up into that, both your personal enjoyment, your family, but also your, your, your pocketbook and, and how you essentially have, you know, create net worth for, for yourself as an individual. And on top of that all, you, we have this perception of perfection. And so you think like, hey, some, you know, everyone talks about this dream home thing. And I used to joke, I don't do it so much anymore, where people would say, you know, this is my last home. And I'd kind of like, if it was if an older client, I'd say, ah, your last home is probably going to be a coffin. It depends. You have to read the room because that joke doesn't always land great. And so, but the point of it is, is like, I have had so many clients tell me this is their last home. And then within like three to five years, they sold it and they're buying another home or they're remodeling their home. Or So my point is there is really no last home. It's kind of like, this is my home for now. And I think really owning that, like, this is the home for my point in time of my family and their young family. You know, I give them some insight that, hey, you know, at some point you're going to sell this because the house is either too big or doesn't serve your current functions. Make sure you design it in a way that allows you to sell it and capture that. Or if you plan on staying there, because I've had a number of people say, well, I'm going to stay here till the day I die. You're going to have to carry me out that front door. Well, my wife happens to be in uh, healthcare. It's very unlikely that you're going to stay in the home <laughs> that long. I mean, there's going to be some middle steps and that's not meant to be morbid. It's just really to kind of reality check the client so that it also checks in their expectations of, I, I want to build their dream home. Don't get me wrong, but what they're thinking and what we can actually do with the budget that they often give us is they're not always in alignment. So it's important for us to have that discussion early on. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. The other thing I will say around, I 100% I agree with you around the way that our system and our country is set up is, is around property ownership. That was very clear from a lot of things, even that the founding fathers did and said and what they wanted that to be around. I think what needs to happen in that and in this country is a lot more education, right? Like we need to be educating more and more people around how they can get into real estate, how they can get into ownership. Um, and how they can build generational wealth. Like, I think there's just a lot of things that are entrenched because no one's ever taught people how to do these things. And I think just a lot more education around that would be super helpful. I want to kind of switch gears, if you don't mind, Mark, because one of the things I really wanted to dive into when I met you at the Builders Show, you walked up and I was chatting with Chris Anderson and you were trying to sell me on Chris Anderson's services because I was maybe there to talk to him about uh, what he could do. But I wanted to ask you, like, what value, speaking of value and how we all can bring value in our different God-given skill sets and talents, what value have you seen for Mark D. Williams in outsourcing that accounting piece? What value does Month End and Chris Anderson's team bring to you guys? So just so I'm clear, you guys, aren't you, you guys are competitors of each other. Is that correct? I mean, you guys uh, operate in similar spaces sure. or no? But back to, we do, but back to the whole yeah. thing about collaborating, right? So we, our, at the Profit Constructors, we do tend to work, although we have some home builders that are clients of ours, we tend to work more in that commercial space and actually with a lot of subcontractors, commercial subcontractors, whereas Mark's all in on like the builder trend, um, oh, Chris, home building space, I'm just, or Chris, yeah, get, see, see I, I mean, it's I'm, been a I'm, Monday. I'm, I'm Chris and I'm Brad. Hey, and you're Brad. Is, this, is, this is great. And Mark uh, is right behind you. And <laughs> I should be able to know your name. No, but, um, you know, so we are collaborators and competitors. Um, but yeah. Well, the reason I bring it up is I think it's hilarious that, uh, although it's totally type A for me, that I tried to sell you. Because I do like to, uh, if I'm obviously in front of a crowd, I tend to kind of turn up the the volume and the lights a little bit. 
And uh, unfortunately, my wife doesn't always love that. But anyway, so when you were there, I'm thinking that you were talking to Chris because you're a prospective client. And obviously, I'm working with Chris at month end. Yes. You know, yeah, of course, I was trying to sell you. I do think that's sort of funny. Yes. Um, yeah, Chris has been great. So we, yeah, what do, so for probably 17 years, no, 18 years, we had just in, in house bookkeeping, we had a CPA that we would check in with quarterly. And I feel like I had created my own, we did, um, was it cost of production? I'm blanking on uh, cost of goods sold. So we would, you know, if you build a $2 million house, you recognize the profit in the year that it closes. And so I just feel like now as we have more and more homes going, I just, I always felt like I was in arrears and understanding where my actual financial liquidity was. And I I had created kind of a cash flow um, blueprint that actually, funny, oddly enough, my dad had used 30 years ago. And so for 18 years in my business, that thing worked great. You know, we would take all our, it was a whip report, but it was, mm -hmm. I didn't even know if that's what it was called. I, we just, I had this from day one and I kind of kept improving it, making an Excel spreadsheet out of it and then do a lot of forecasting, you know, cost of goods sold, you know, blah, blah. And so it was, for me, it was the perfect, it was, I think it was what KPIs, your key performance indicators. Like I yeah. knew exactly the health of my company at any point in time. And then somewhere about seven months ago, I think it must've been in June or July of last year, I hired a, we were starting to scale up and I've never done a great job of skating. This is kind of that ceiling thing. Again, I kind of bumping it. I, we, I felt like we had too much work. We were too busy. My staff was burned out. I was burned out. We just, we were, we, but, and so we're like, okay, we have to hire someone else. So we hired somebody, you know, whether it was the right person, the wrong person, it just, it didn't work out, but it also could have been timing. And it's, I'm not real big on looking too much in the past and just going forward. But at that, from that point on, my, my key performance indicators were really lagging. And we we're also in the middle of it. We tried a different accounting firm that didn't work, but I don't know if I gave them enough time. I don't know if it was my internal team that was failing. It was at them failing. And then I got a recommendation to use Chris from another builder. And, um, you know, the moment I, I'm, again, I'm more of a person evaluator. So as soon as I talked with him within like five, you know, I mean, honestly, like five minutes, I was like, okay, he's my guy. And so he was saying all the right things, his energy, everything about it. I loved his process. Even the name of his company month end, like it's a, good, a great name. It tells you exactly what it is in its name. And so, and he said, I'm going to be honest. He goes, the onboarding is going to be brutal. Yeah. Oh man, was he right? I think I'd rather train for an Ironman than, than do the onboarding again. And so I think we're about, we're kind of coming out of it now, but you know, we had, we had turnover in our office management role, you know, a month into it. He, our lead salesperson, uh, or sorry, our lead Bookkeeper. Yeah, whatever we're calling that person to help us yeah. onboard, yeah. left at about three quarters. So it's like, oh my word, you could not have written a script for like worse onboarding protocol. I still believe in the system, but I'm still fresh in and I'm only like four months in. And everyone tells me you need about, you know, they say it's about four months. Obviously, given my track, you know, through there, it's been a little messy. And you talk about, you know, I, I guess I call it dead bones or rotten two by fours, you know, remodeling the numbers, you know, yeah. it, they kept saying, man, this is taking a lot of work, a lot more than we forecasted to go in and fix, you know, fix the books. And it's not like I think people listening might say, well, you need to fix the books. That sounds illegal. I think it's just how things are recorded or like, let's yeah. say your CPA just calls miscellaneous expenses. Well, I want the reason I, I joined this company is because I want to be able to every month look exactly at my key indicators and say, Hey, what's the health of our company? Can I afford to hire someone? Hey, four months from now, what's my cash flow projection look like? And because they're so integrated with builder trend, which we also, that's another thing on top of all of these financial changes, I made the genius decision to switch to builder trend about five months ago as well. So 
I don't really know who to blame other than it's a big hot mess. And I guess my name's on the sign. So it's my fault. But, you know, I do believe that we're going to, <laughs> I guess every morning when I look in the mirror, I'll just point at myself and say, it's your fault. It's your fault. I, I, I do think it about, you know, I keep saying about, I'm going to say Q2, middle of Q2. If we don't have it figured out, heads are going to have to roll, but I'm pretty sure we're on the right way and we're getting there. And so anyway, I'm not sure I answer your question exactly, but that's my experience uh, so far. And on top of it all, and maybe we'll come back, but you know, we've also uh, entered into working with Adaptive and Matt Cavano and Henry and Francisco. And I know you had Matt on the podcast a couple months yeah. ago and his technology is incredible. So um big plug out for them. If you're interested in adaptive, they yeah. are cool. Huge so you, shout have, out have you, to adaptive. I think if so, I think you listened to our adaptive podcast and, I yeah. um, I said to them on that podcast, they have built something that I've been looking for for seven years in this industry. Right. So having always been in construction accounting, and then for the last seven years, having focused on helping small construction companies grow, one of the big challenges in this new automated world that we live in has been AP and, and job costing AP, right? Like no solution was out there that could at a line item level job cost, all of these things. And so everything was still very, very manual. And so when Adaptive came along and knocked on our door and said, hey, can we pick your brain? What do you think about our software? I was blown away with a lot of the things that they were trying to do and trying to build from the automation standpoint. So yeah, I love, I love their product, as you know. Oh. It's funny because maybe I'll ask you a question of how you got into construction world from a finance standpoint, because I'm always interested, like thinking that, you know, for a long time, I thought, well, man, accounting is accounting. And boy, am I wrong. I, I, that's if I could go back in the beginning, I would have definitely aligned myself. And I really like my CPA. So it's not anything against my CPA, but it's like, I feel like having the nuances of actual construction finance, which now saying it out loud seems ridiculous that I didn't think of this 20 years ago or 15 years ago or however many years ago. Yesterday would have been fine. But anyway, the point of it is um, uh, Henry, uh, who's one of the founders at Adaptive, used to work at SpaceX. So yes. my favorite quote from his is that construction financing and construction accounting is harder than rocket science. I love telling people that. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, honestly, this is a rocket scientist, literally a rocket scientist. And you know, it's more difficult for them to create algorithms and AI to interpret construction forecasts and invoicing than it is to figure out where your landing module is going to land after it comes back out of orbit. I was like, whoa, okay. That does put in perspective. I thought it was just me who thought that the accounting for construction was a hot mess. It turns out it's a very difficult industry. Thank you. Thank you. We can end right there. You've said everything that I need said, and I need all of my clients to listen to this podcast well, right part there. Part of the rocket science quote. <laughs> that is going in the quote caption when we post this everywhere. No, I love that. And, and so it's interesting. You've touched on so many things that are so true. So we have a client that right now is going through a week, like you said, the onboarding and this whole, the throes of all this mess of like, us really coming in and digging in. First of all, we have to understand what your old processes were, right? Like we have to understand what you were doing. Then we have to like bring in the new process, change is hard. There's just so many different moving parts and pieces that are happening through any of these onboardings um, and things that need to happen. So in answer to your question, I went to work for an architect and home builder who had a very similar story to what you shared at the very beginning. So in 1998, I went to work for a gentleman that I knew um, who was actually in, I was homeschooled. And so he was a dad in our homeschooling group and he had moved to where we lived in Kingman, Arizona. He moved away from California with his architecture degree because he decided he wanted to buy a piece of land and build his own house. And he wanted to get into spec building, but he had to start somewhere. So he did the same thing you did. He built a house from the ground up, 
learned how to do it and then went from there. And so in 98, I went to work for him and sort of learned boots on the ground while I was in college taking accounting 101 at the time and started learning. And then I just went into corporate accounting and a CPA that we work with, who's part of the CFMA, which is the Construction Financial Managers Association. Um, he's, you know, a very well-known construction accountant across the nation. And when he and I first started working together, I said, you know, here's the thing. Um, I don't know much about retail accounting. I don't know anything about restaurant accounting. Construction is all I know. It's all I really know and all I can do. And I didn't even ever finish my accounting degree. And I was kind of saying that with like, well, here's what I know and here's what I can do. And this is where I'm at. And he went, Tanya, no one gives you a degree in WIP accounting. You learned that by actually being in the books and doing WIPs month over month over all these years that you've been in corporate construction accounting. And you know a lot more than a lot of people who got their degree in accounting because you know how to put a WIP report together. And you know how to use that to help an owner manage a company, right? And so um, there's just so much that when I first started this business, I thought, well, it's all I know. I had never known that, you know, in accounting, you could go into a niche and you could decide you only wanted to work with retail or restaurant or e-commerce or, you know, there's this whole section of niche accounting that's something that they'll teach you now at accounting conferences, how to find your niche. I was like, well, mine fell in my lap when I was still in high school and decided I wanted to learn about accounting. Um, and it's all I've ever done or known. So that's, that's the answer to your question about how did I get into this? Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting story. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I think going back to the earlier part where we say having a business plan, I think, having a business plan when you didn't have one sounds really good, but sometimes you can business plan yourself to death and not do anything. And yes. sometimes the best thing you can do is jump off the diving board and figure out how to get water in the pool on the way down. And so I know that's like a yin yang, you know, <laughs> pro con, but I, there is something about just going ahead and doing it. Um, I mean, even the podcast, I mean, it, you know, you and I were talking a little bit in the pre-show of like how to start the podcast. I mean, I was on Brad Levitt's podcast, AFT Constructions podcast. And while I'm having it, I'm like, I'm having just so much fun doing this podcast. Like why well, I should start one. So 30 days later, I started a podcast, you know, went out, got some sponsors and the, I remember pitching the sponsors and they'd be like, well, how many listeners do you have? And I'm like, zero. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, uh, unclear. Uh, who's going to be listening to it? How many followers do you have? Zero. And they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to support you because we know who you are. And we think, you know, obviously I could not probably have done that to the success that we've had early on uh, without, you know, Mark D. Williams Custom Homes and just having that brand and reputation. But that being said is, I think there's something about just going and trying it. I've learned so much in just five months, um, you know, whether it's being a better interviewer or just asking different questions, but also just appreciating also the, the talents of other people. So it's been really enjoyable. It's kind of like a new thing. It's also re-energized me for building uh, as well. You know, sometimes you get in these little dips of valleys of energy where, you know, you might have a difficult, you know, client or you might have a different difficult experience at work. You know, it might be a year, it might be two years, you know, it might be a bad deal that you're just kind of stuck in. You got to work through. And so I think having things that really re-energize you and motivate you. And I, I think even the International Builder Show where you and I met, that when you're at these, you know, there's so much energy there that, man, you can't help but come back from there and feel kind of empowered. And I think it's important too that I think sometimes maybe people's personalities would be like, you know, there's all these, you know, uh, these amazing builders or amazing pictures. I can't do that. And I, I'm glad that you know, there are so many builders that are more talented than I am. Or I don't want to say more talented, just like 
because I don't look at it in that frame. I just, I find it inspiring. Like I'll see a picture specifically about Brad or anybody. I could look at a $200 million home. It wouldn't matter. I'd be like, oh, that makes me want to be better. And it's not jealousy or envy. It's mainly just like, I want to be better at my craft. And you could look at it as a form of competition, but I, I choose to be motivated more. At the end of the day, you're, you're kind of competing against yourself, like the best version of yourself. What does that mean? Only, only you can tell you what that is. And so um, I don't know where we got off on this, but oh, just no. be energized by what you see in the marketplace, I guess. Yeah. And it's so true. I think it's, it's, you have to go to those types of events. I try to go to them on the regular inner, you are very energized. I also had to learn when I first started going to them, you know, I shared with you my story that uh, one of the apps that I work with called Noify had invited me to come to an accounting conference. And I had to learn after that particular one um, that I, I had to avoid all of the shoulds, right? Like everybody there was saying, oh, you should do this. You should do that. You should do this. You should do that. And I couldn't take every single suggestion that they had nor was it right for me to take every single suggestion that they had because I am my own unique person and I am managing a very unique business, right? So that was another thing that I had to learn is like, I need to be able to glean what I can use and also be okay knowing that I'm never going to be anybody else in the accounting world. It's okay to be Tanya Schulte who runs the Profit Constructors and has the Construction Junction podcast and not have to be anybody else and, and think that if I'm not that person, that I'm not doing what I should be doing. Yeah, no, 100% agree. I, I want to ask one last question and then uh, and we can kind of wrap it up. What would you like other home builders or construction company owners to kind of know about your journey? What, what would you say is something that they could learn from where you've been and, and what you know? Well, a couple of things. One is everyone's a hot mess. Anyone that tells you differently is a liar. That's come out recently where it's like, you know, every company with marketing, oh man, they look like they're on the ball. Uh, you know, they post this great pictures. I mean, it's the social media phenomenon, right? It's like even like your family photos, like no one pictures. If you have a family, like no one's posting pictures of poopy diapers and crying babies and disciplining your kids and the whining and all that stuff, right? You're, you're, pissed, you're, you're, you're posting pictures of holding hands and walking through Disney world. You're, you're at the beach, you're building a sandcastle, you know, everyone's birthday, everyone's smiling. I guarantee every birthday has some crying too, but nobody yes. posts those photos. So I, I think any business is like that. So don't be discouraged if you think you don't know what's going on because everyone is still figuring it out. I think just being open and honest and kind of humble about that is super important. Number two, um, I think asking for help. I think the biggest thing you could ever do, and I continually tell this story um, because it was told to me and it was it's been very helpful in my career. And I, it, I think it speaks to a human nature element where when you ask somebody for help and genuine, like if you ask me for help, it does two things. One is not very often does someone ask you for help in like a very meaningful way. Does someone call you up and say, Tanya, I really need your help. Your ears, you're on like DEFCON 5. You're like, you're ready to move aircraft carriers and, you know, move in the troops to do whatever you can do to help that person, number one. Number two, it sounds strange, but it almost, it's very validating. So like if it's a friendship, even if it's not a friendship, it like if someone was to call me, uh, let's say in Minnesota market and say, Mark, I really need your help. I'm really struggling with something. Um, I would feel like, wow, they, they feel comfortable enough to be vulnerable enough to ask me for help. Like I don't even know them that well. I'm a going to rise to the occasion. Absolutely. Cause that doesn't happen very often. And two, like it kind of creates this bond of friendship and solidarity, which I think is super interesting. I, I don't think that's talked about enough. And so again, I don't think you should be going around asking for help if it's not genuine, cause that's going to sound like a broken bell. But I think when you are honest and asking for help, 
who's going to say no? And yeah. honestly, if you're saying no to people that are asking for help, like, well, I don't know you need help. Just <laughs> <laughs> to say, where's he going to go with that? What's he going to yeah. call this person who's saying yeah. that? No, I guess you need help. <laughs> yeah. After, after we left the international builder show, um, I had an issue that was going on with one of our newer clients we're trying to catch up, clean up with, and we weren't understanding something in builder trend. And I reached out to Chris. I said, Hey, can I have 15 minutes of your time? I know, you know, builder trend better than I do. And he graciously offered that. And you know, exactly what you said, like we can help each other. And I know, and he knows my door is always open. So he can come back this way and ask for help anytime as well. And that's just human humanity, right? Being good humans to one another. And I, and I think because, you know, we often talk about how the emotions of building can be um, heavy. I'm not going to say toxic or negative because I think emotions can be, I mean, every, I mean, most people have cried when they're happy and it's like they're exhausted after like it, it emotions uh, have heavy, but they're also filling. Like you, I, I've often told this to my clients. I said, you know, at some point during this build, somebody will cry. They might be tears of joy or I hope for their tears of joys and they might be tears of, you know, pain or sorrow, but it's, there's just a lot of emotion, but we often yeah. concentrate on the negative side of emotion, but there's a lot of positive sides of emotion as well. And seeing relationships between the trade partners and the subcontractors and realizing that as a business owner, as a general contractor, you know, I take uh, great, um, pride's the wrong word. I take great satisfaction in seeing my my trade partners succeed as well. I've told my framers many times, hey, you, you need to raise your rates. Now, don't just raise them on me, raise them on everybody because you need, it doesn't do me any good if you go out of business, then who am I going to depend on? And I've spent all this capital investment, intellectual investment in training you and in and, and aligning your skill set with what I want to build that now if you go out of business, like how does that help me? I've lost my investment. Mm -hmm. And plus I care about them on top of it. And so I, I think that's another thing that's not, talked about enough is that when you really engage in your community and when you, that there's that old line that the rising tide floats all boats, mm -hmm. like what's good for, you know, if it's good for them, it's good. It's good for the entire community. And I think people, you know, like Brad, like Morgan, like Nick, we've mentioned a lot earlier on in the show, you know, the fact that Brad is so freely sharing information is just telling you that the whole entire industry needs to be uplifted, not taken yes. down. And I think if we are all using healthy business practices, I suspect building is not the only you know, business that needs a major overhaul in how we do things. I'm, I'm guessing it's all businesses. But I'm just thinking that you know we need to keep elevating what we do. And I think that's where talking to other builders, especially outside your state, I think you know that's this year has been such an awakening for me because it's like, well, I certainly network with a lot of local builders. Um, but now the idea that you can expand your your uh, connections na nationwide and ask questions, man, you can just learn things so much faster and get new ideas. So. Yeah, get new ideas, understand how maybe what's happening in Minnesota isn't the same thing that's happening in Arizona, but maybe there's something you can learn about what's happening in Arizona. And now you have that reach across over across the nation to understand something new about something that you maybe never even heard of before. I love that. Yeah. So, and then, I mean, I guess the, the origin of the question was ask for help. I forget what the first thing I said was, but, you know, educate, self-educate, you know, I mean, ask questions, a lot of questions, never stop asking questions. It's like, to me, it's like a shark when it stops swimming, you're just going to die. So, because asking questions, you know, being curious, uh, to quote Ted Lasso, <laughs> be curious, uh, look it up. If you're going to see that. That's a good, that's a great five minute clip was on a dartboard in England. Uh, anyway, be curious, ask questions and keep learning. Like 
you can never stop learning. And so you'll keep innovating. And those will be the things that continue to make you evolve, grow as a business. And if you're, if you're listening to this and you're going to start a business, you know, talk to Tanya first. <laughs> Good. Good way to end. Thank you very much, Mark. And I do know that your name is Mark, despite many mishaps. Hey, I've been called way, I've been called way worse than Brad and whoever else. Other person oh, Chris, I think, I think we're talking oh, about yeah, Chris. Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I probably should learn not to record podcasts on a Monday because I think Mondays are probably the worst days for me to try to figure out what's going on in my own brain. <laughs> nah, it's good. Think of it like uh, think of it like brand marketing. Like you're you're touching more brands and more touch points. So That's now right. you, can, you can tag Brad and Chris in this, and then when they show up on their feeds, be like, "Wait, I wasn't on a podcast." Yeah. Who's oh that yeah, impos- you were. Who's that imposter? <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate you joining us for the podcast and uh, look forward to hearing more about what you do on the Curious Builder podcast as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And if anyone listening is interested, you know, they can find us at Mark D. Williams Custom Homes or the Curious Builder Podcast.com or on both our Instagram handles are the same. So, and now everyone that's listening also knows that if you reach out to Mark and ask him for help, he's going to give some help. So, that's right. You got help. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be in it. I'm going to have to ha- create a helpline. So, <laughs> I'll call it the All Mark right. and Tanya helpline. So, well, I yeah. know I know where to send them for financial help, and uh, I can if you're in Minnesota, I'll help you with the house. And if you want to come on the podcast, uh, I can help you there too. So there you go. All kinds of rest- help. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks very much for having me on. It was a pleasure, and um, we'll see you soon. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for tuning in to Construction Junction. To find out more about the junction between accounting and construction please email hello at theprofitconstructors.com.